1: Dear listeners, Assalamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullahi wa A very good evening and welcome back to Friday Night Fusion, the new sound of Great Britain here on 93.5 Unity FM across Birmingham and surrounding areas both nationally and internationally on www.unityfm.net. Now, as has been documented on this program quite extensively over the past few months, the portrayal of the Muslim community has been a massive concern to us here in the UK and around the world. Recently we have seen controversial programs such as Citizen Khan and now even more uh, controversy has been caused by the terrible and truly unacceptable depictions of the Prophet that have been published in various uh, parts of the press. Thankfully not in the UK as of yet. We've also seen a terrible film that uh, was made in the United States of America that uh, also portrays the Prophet in a very inaccurate and uh, truly abhorrent way, a film that should be condemned in every way, shape and form. However, what should we as Muslims do to address this massive onslaught that seems to be taking place against Islam and against our community? Where do the answers lie? Was it correct, for example, For people to engage in the violence that we've seen across the world, many people have said not. But then the question is, how do you channel your anger? How do you channel your frustration? And mashallah, a... brother, an ustad who has worked extensively over the years to promote a positive image of Islam and Muslims to show the beauty of Islam including the Arabic language itself is brother Numan Ali Khan and mashallah he is the CEO and founder of the Bayina Institute in the United States of America, that's an Islamic educational institution that has done some fantastic work to enlighten our young people and to bring people closer to Islam, the true way of life. Assalamualaikum brother Naman Ali Khan jazakallah for joining us on the show this evening.
0: my pleasure on being on
1: the show. Firstly let me just say it is an absolute honor to have you on the program. We here at Unity FM play your lectures mashallah every morning and our listeners are always full of words of admiration and praise for the beautiful words that you offer uh, that you utter on uh, a daily basis mashallah.
0: May Allah reward them for listening, reward me for whatever efforts and keep us all sincere and our intentions clean, inshallah.
1: I mean all of us, inshallah. Now, mashallah, brother, you were born and have been brought up in the United States of America. I know you've also traveled to Saudi Arabia as well as Pakistan and various other parts of the world with this clear mission to promote a positive image of Islam and a positive image of the Muslim community. Of course, we regularly hear about the fact that becoming a speaker or becoming a da'i of any sort is perhaps not the most uh, financially fruitful way to uh, spend your life, but in a religious sense, in Islamic sense, the benefits are endless. What inspired you to take such a route and to dedicate your whole life to this mission?
0: Um, so, bismillah, salatu ala just a couple of quick corrections. Um... I was actually born in Germany. Uh, my father served in the, uh, the uh, Pakistan embassy, and he had worked for the Pakistan Ministry of Foreign Affairs for a long time, and at the time he was stationed in Germany. Uh, so I was born in '78 in uh, what was former East Berlin at the time. And um, I moved, you know, we moved because of my dad's work from there to Pakistan temporarily, and then, you know, uh, to Saudi for about six or seven years. So I spent my childhood in Saudi from about second grade to eighth grade, second class to eighth class and then, you know, Pakistan for about a year, and eventually, about 1993, we moved to the United States, and I've been in the U.S. since uh, 1993. Anyway, to answer your question about my, you know, the direction I picked uh, in life, um, I was, uh, I graduated from college, uh, and actually, while I was going to college, because, you know, we don't come from a wealthy background, I was working full-time and going to school full-time and sort of paying my own tuition um, all at the same time. My, My father was actually stationed back to Pakistan while I was about two years into college. Um, So I had to, we we as a family made a decision that I should stay back in the U.S. and continue my studies. So um, I, you know, started working full-time about at least 40 to 50 hours a week and started taking three to four classes a semester, whatever I could afford uh, to keep my college education going. And this was in the field of uh, computer information systems. While I was doing that and having like almost a double full-time lifestyle, on the one hand a full-time student, on the other hand also a full-time employee, um, I developed an interest in studying the Arabic language. And uh, this came about as a result of one Ramadan, I still remember, in 1999, that I attended um, an, actually an Urdu series that was being offered in a local masjid in New York City uh, that was basically going to, to go through the Qur'an in translation, in dars. And I attended that series late at night. I'd come back from, you know, I'd go to work in the morning, go to college in the evening, then end up late in at night at the masjid, make whatever tail end of the Taraweeh I could catch and sit in these durus until one or two in the morning and start that routine again the next morning. So I had thirty days of this really insane cycle. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm really grateful for that ex- experience, Alhamdulillah, because it, it was really the first time I was exposed to the Quran not as a book, but actually as a conversation. And that, that affected me a lot. That I I did you know, for the first time I was I was kind of tasting uh, even in a, in a second-hand form, that the Quran is actually something that speaks to the Muslim.
1: Sure, sure. And
0: I was very intrigued by this idea. And I, I so I spoke to the presenter, Dr. Abdul Samiya, uh, at the end of that program, and asked him, you know, I'd like to do what you do. I'm really inspired by what you do. And he basically a one-line answer from him was, okay, well, learn Arabic. That's what he told me. You know, so I I started uh, you know uh, studying Arabic with him while I was going to college and I was going to to school and just started spending late nights with him and studied some basic grammar and some basic vocabulary with him for over the course of the next couple of months, maybe no more than two months, that I spent with him kind of doing this as just something I was very passionate about. And he saw that I was very motivated, so even though he was teaching classes to other students that I would be a part of, he would make extra individual time for me, and I'm you know, really forever grateful for that. So anyhow, I'll, I'll make a long story short. I... Uh, I continued after he left to Pakistan because he had to go back. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, whatever uh, you know, little money I had, I you know, went and bought whatever Arabic books I could find, one or two, and started plowing through them myself. And I would get stuck, stuck on a lot of occasions, and I'd go look for an Arab imam and say, what does this word mean? How does this sentence work? And they'd help me out along the way, so every time I'd get stuck, which would be quite often, I'd just go and ask somebody who has more knowledge and just keep going at it. And I just kept at it for myself. And um, this is, you know, this is actually a process that's still continuing for me in some sense. Um, you know, it just... Al-Arabiyatu uh, Bahar, right? The Arabic language is an ocean. Mashallah. And so when you study it, you just keep going and going. But the thing for me was, my motivation to study Arabic was directly tied to me engaging the Quran. Mashallah. So I never allowed the two studies to be separate from one another. Sure. So... You know, so even if I studied conversational Arabic, the purpose was so I can converse with an Imam about an ayah in Arabic. Subhan. Or if I, you know, learn to read Arabic other than Quran, mm. my interest was okay. I want to read the other than Quran. You know, you see what I'm saying? Yes. So everything was kind of tying back to uh, mm. the Quran, and I kept this up for some time, uh, and eventually, the dot com bust happened, um, and, you know, I was laid off for a little bit uh, mm. from my work. And when I was laid off, I, it, you know, it gave me an opportunity to kind of take a step back and rethink what I want to do. And a couple of realizations came to me, and one of them was that, you know, the, the technology industry that I was a part of uh, and the corporate world that I'm a part of, it's constantly evolving. And in order for you to keep your job, you constantly have to redefine yourself and uh, you constantly have to upgrade your skill set. Mm. right? So if you're a programmer, there's an upgrade to the language. If you're an IT technician or you're a network security, there are new protocols that are coming out. There are new security breaches, et cetera, et cetera. So what that means is you're at work when you're at work, but your mind is also at work when you're at home. Mm. Mm. You know, you're, yes. you're still studying and trying to keep up and taking more certification courses and things sure. like that. You know? sure. And on on top of that is the corporate culture. And in corporate culture, it's kind of a cutthroat, everybody's out to get you you know, if you don't make it and if you don't take the next position and you don't take the promotion, then you're not seen as motivated and you might actually end up losing your job to begin with And there's a lot of these, these, these uh, this dirty culture, this jungle culture inside concrete buildings, you know mm, mm. and it was just not something I was ready to give my life to uh, because you, once you get sucked into that culture, the only part of my Islam that would have been left is maybe listening to a lecture once in a while and attend, making time for Jum'ah. And other than that, you're just engulfed in family and work, and you have nothing else in your life, you know? Mm,
1: mm.
0: So I made a conscious decision to try to do something about that. Mm. But um, at the same time, because I had gone to tech school and, and to business school, uh, Baruch College, where I went, is also a business school, I wanted to have uh, a plan for myself, at least, that sustains me uh, without engaging in anything resembling fundraising. I wanted to have a career in serving you know, the community, while, while at the same time not having to rely on donations and things like that, or be a burden on the community in any way. So I spent maybe almost six months to a year discussing some thoughts about, you know, teaching Arabic. Because in the meantime, just to keep up with my Arabi, I was also teaching just on the side, you know, teach a couple of college students here and there, maybe do a short class in the masjid where they would let me. And I was getting pretty good feedback about, you know, whatever methods I had developed to teach. Uh, and so I was motivated enough to say Maybe I could do this full time Subhanallah And Allah opens doors the way we can't even imagine uh, You know Yahtasib. Um As a matter of fact An Arabic professor was attending one of my courses And keep in mind I'm just a kid who studied Arabi for a couple of months mm-hmm. I'm no expert Yeah, yeah sure. And this is a professor from a college Sitting there just and he, he didn't say a word I didn't know he was a professor And he's just sitting there uh, Listening to me explain like concepts in Nahu to like you know a a hundred people at a masjid it was kind of a crazy thing and at the end of it he said you know I like how you teach I want you to take my job because I'm retiring so he was retiring from a community college in uh, Long Island mm -hmm. in New York
1: Mm -hmm. and he
0: literally he recommended me to take his place Uh, you know I didn't have the credentials to take his place but because it came and he had years of tenure and you know so he recommended me and subhanAllah the department somehow agreed after interviewing me and I got a job it was a still a part-time job, but I got a job teaching Arabic at a college um, in New York. Alhamdulillah Alhamdulillah Mashallah
1: That's a fascinating uh, story And it's very interesting Brother Numan That you mentioned That when you were actually Studying the Arabic language There was more to it Than just looking at it As Arabic You were also looking at Islam Very closely And I suppose Through that initial interest That you had in Arabic There was always That greater interest That you had in Islam Exploring your faith And serving your faith Yeah
0: Yeah absolutely I mean for me personally I decided at some point in my life, there are so many wonderful Islamic sciences, and each one of them is an ocean in and of itself, but for some reason I found a special love for Qur'an studies in particular. Though I have tremendous respect and regard for the other sciences, I just decided, at least in my life, I will know of the other sciences so long as they pertain to me in my personal life, so I should know enough fiqh to understand the essentials of salat, and if I'm going to hajj, I should know the fiqh of hajj, etc., but I'm not going to be a student of fiqh. I'm going to be a student of the Qur'an and a teacher of it, inshallah ta'ala. That was my intention. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and and as my Arabic developed, one of the cool things that happened was I'd be studying an ayah, and I would think I know what it means. And then I'd study some more Arabic and come back to the same ayah a year later, and I'd see something I didn't see a year ago at all. Yes. Because as your Arabic evolves, so does your view of the Qur'an. It's like you develop more of an x-ray vision or you... Develop, you know, a microscope vision for looking at the same thing. And so it gave me an appreciation that, you know, Arabic has to be studied more and more because without it, our view of the text actually becomes kind of shallow. And we, we don't look at, you know, the treasure. I mean, I give my students the example of looking at a rock. You know, if, you, if you're passing by the road and you see a rock on the side, you just see a rock. But somebody who has the right tools can see through the dirt layers of dirt on top and see that there's actually a diamond inside. You know, So that, that view has to be developed. It's something that needs to be given You know, mm. a, a time. Mm. So alhamdulillah, Allah, I'm, I'm grateful that I, I was able to be motivated that way and that Allah gave me the risk of just wonderful friends and teachers along the way that kept pushing me in one direction or the other, sure. subhanAllah. Allah. That it snowballed into a full-time career mm. about maybe... 2005 it, I took the leap of faith if you will yes and left my, you know my other other jobs and mm. you know other other means of making a, an income and I talked to my wife which was the hardest part
1: <laughs> and said
0: look this is what I'm going to do mm. I know we have a child and I know we have responsibilities but I, I firmly believe after a, a year of planning that this can work
1: mm.
0: and so she gave me the green light reluctantly but alhamdulillah she gave me the green light <laughs> and you know we went forward as a family and took this leap Yes. And
1: subhanAllah, I've never looked back since. MashaAllah. Now, you are very fortunate in the sense that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed you with this massive interest, this great vocabulary of knowledge that you can very much use on a regular basis. Beautiful talks that I say our listeners listen to on a regular basis and gain huge benefit from. But in a time in which Islam is facing so many challenges, your average I suppose student or your average listener or your average Muslim out there perhaps may not be as fortunate as to have so much knowledge about the faith as you have when they see all these negative images of Islam being portrayed what is your message to them how can they work towards tackling these problems that exist that obviously infuriate them but they find no direction in which they can channel that particular anger
0: yeah I mean I've been thinking about this problem for some time and these kinds of incidents that occur that really hurt every single Muslim on the planet that has an iota of faith these are just, you know, they, they remind me of how important it is for us to give serious thought to how to move forward as an Ummah uh, and my first, you know, concern is that us as a people, we've just become reactionary so our, our love for the Prophet, وسلم, is, you know, it comes, really comes out in full force in response to hate against the Prophet Right, And that in and of itself Is sort of It's, it's an, an indication of the weakness Of the Muslim um, You know how in the times of war I can tell you in America In times of war Everywhere you go Somebody's got an American flag posted On their car mm-hmm. Or on top mm-hmm. of a house You know because you know, Your patriotism rises in times of antagonism Right Because it's not so much love for yourself It's more hate for the other That's what sometimes it becomes but in times when there aren't such controversies, how engaged are the Muslims in learning and in sharing the beautiful message that our Prophet ﷺ charged yes. us with? Right. Yes. This is a—it's a really like a, a conscience question. I feel that the big crisis in the Oman, how to respond to this, is you know when when bad things are said, we have to drown out the the response with good things. This is an opportunity for one of the world's population collectively to start saying wonderful things about the Prophet ﷺ <laughs> to their neighbors, to their friends. It's an opportunity for dawah is what I see this as. Mm. I don't necessarily see this as a tragedy. You know, these fools that make, that try to insult, uh, you know, our Prophet ﷺ, whether it be in film or in cartoons or articles and things like that, they, you know, they're trying, they're trying to literally spit at the sun. The spit will only come back on their own face. It's not possible to insult our Prophet, alayhi Sallallahu Alaihi But it does give us an opportunity to have a conversation about Rasulullah, Sallallahu Alaihi wasalam and who he really was. You know, and my problem is that we're not seeing that opportunity for what it is, mm-hmm. and all we're channeling our energy into is rage. And people email me because I, you know, I, I, I released a video just saying, "Look, this was not our response. I didn't talk about what our response should be, mm-hmm. but I did say, you know, violence and these kinds of angry." demonstrations at the end of the day what do they produce what sure. what is it that they produce and mm. what would the prophet have Sallam wanted Sallam. us to produce
1: mm,
0: mm. you see what I'm saying yeah so mashallah so absolutely mm. yeah go ahead
1: no 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 Ple- please do continue please do continue
0: okay so my uh, you know my concern uh, when it comes to you know things like this is that we should really drown out these voices with good Mm, with mm. messages about Islam itself, yeah. with discourse, mm. with good deeds. Mm. If we went every time something like this happened, and we, in the name of the, in our, in our loyalty to the Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, wa we went and helped the sick. We went and helped. You know, we visited the sick in hospitals, or visited the the elderly that are not cared for, etc. And all, and we we said we learned this from our Messenger. When bad is done to him, he he responds with good. You know. That's mm-hmm. what we learn from our messengers. What impression of Islam would it get? The world wouldn't even know how to respond.
1: Sure. Absolutely, absolutely, mashallah. But
0: right now we arm them. All we mm-hmm. do is arm them. We give mm-hmm. them more. We say, ah, we told you these Muslims are a bunch of crazy, angry people. Now we have hours and hours of footage proving mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they are crazy, angry people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But I suppose a, a, lot.
1: a lot of this, Brother Numan, comes because of our own ignorance or our own lack of understanding of the faith for example a lot of the violence that we have been seeing breaking out around the world people determined on burning this building and burning that building and killing this person and killing that person. How do we encourage Muslims to move away from the reactionary side of things and to actually look at a greater way of understanding the faith for a greater purpose, as you've just identified, being people who are constantly proactive in Dawah. And I'm talking especially here about young people who are indeed the next leaders.
0: Yeah, I want to I say a couple of things about that First, mm. it's a reality The, the majority of this Ummah are youth I mean, the newest statistics are 62% of Muslims on the planet are under the age of 30 That's remarkable It's also scary Because young people are very volatile <laughs> <laughs> So, it's a, it's, a, it's a scary statistic So, I mean, that means we don't have a choice but to engage the youth It means engaging the Ummah today Actually, practically means engaging the youth There is no other way Now When people are asked, you know, they ask this in the media a lot, why are Muslims so sensitive? Why do they go crazy when their prophet's insulted or the Quran is burned or flushed down a toilet in ma'adala and these kinds of things? are like, Mm -hmm. Why don't Muslims go crazy? Christians don't do that. Jews don't do that, etc. And our staple response in the Muslim community is, well, you don't love your prophets like we do, right? So we do these things. We have this rage because we have an enormous amount of love that can't be compared to the love you have for your figures, if you will. I'm not satisfied with that staple response. Actually, Mm. and and there may be, and I acknowledge the intense love we have for our deen and the honor we have for it, but at the same time, the core problem is one of not knowing what else to do. We actually don't know what else to do. You know, in child psychology, when a child develops speech later, you know, some children learn to speak very early. Sure, sure. Some children learn to speak much later. The children that learn to speak much later are much more violent. They cry more.
1: Mm. They,
0: they lash out more. Mm. They yell and scream mm. more because they don't know what else to do. You see? And they'll, they'll hit more. They'll be more physical because they, they just don't know how else to express the, the, the emotions that they have. Our core problem is not just a lack of education in the secular sense. Most average Muslims, even the Muslim that's standing there protesting, you ask him, uh, you know, just give me a synopsis of the seerah of the Prophet. Sallallahu, Sallallahu Show me like maybe four or five incidents, mm. for instance, mm. uh, that the Prophet sallam condoned behavior like yours. Just show me something. I mean, you love him so much; you should know that your behavior is inspired by him, right? Just show me. They won't even know what to tell you. They won't know. Sure. That's the crisis. Mm. You mm. know. So we have to push the Ummah in the direction of learning Islam properly. And actually, even those who hate Islam better acknowledge. They they, they, they better get something through their head. Islam is not going anywhere. Mm. I, you know, no matter how much you criticize it, or you know, make films about it, or try to get people to to, to leave it or whatever. Yes, yes. Islam is a force to be reckoned with. It is protected by a lot It's not going anywhere. Mm. You have the only solution to you know the the ignorant behavior is actually a proper education of Islam.
1: Sure, sure, but and I, and, I, and I suppose that's both to Muslims first and foremost, and then inshallah to non-Muslims when they see yeah. us practicing proper Islamic actions. Now I really do appreciate your valuable time today, brother Ali Khan. But as always, time is our only enemy. And just finally, when you see so much by way of negative portrayal of Muslims in the media. You see your fellow Muslim engaging in what can only be described as truly un-Islamic actions. What keeps you going personally? How do you still have hope in your heart, especially for the short term when you see all this chaos in front of you? What keeps you going?
0: i tell you something. Mm. As frustrating as this situation is,
1: mm.
0: I have to believe that the situation that the prophet was put in sallallahu alaihi was far more frustrating
1: mm. and
0: one of the things that really gives me inspiration is this passage from the quran in surah shura uh, surah number 42 i know we have very little time i'll give you a synopsis mm. what allah does in this passage is he lets the prophet know sallallahu alaihi that the people of shirk the people of makkah that know you that know your character that have wor- that you've been trying to preach to for almost a decade now it is too hard for them to accept what you're saying. 'ala al-mushrikeena ma matabruhum ilayh. Okay, It's too hard for them, it's too big of a deal for them to accept one God and to accept you as a messenger. Mm. It's almost like Allah Himself is saying it's not going to happen. Now think about it, if the Prophet is told it's not going to happen, wouldn't that be demoralizing? It would be, right? Mm. On mm. top of that, maybe the hopes are with the people of the book in Medina, because they have previous revelation and this Qur'an will resonate with them. But Allah says, no, actually, even though they have knowledge, they won't believe either. Most of them will only engage in rebellion out of, out mm. of, out of the urge to dominate. Yes, they yes. won't even ex- accept the message despite having knowledge. Mm. You know, من بعد ما العلم بينهم. So Allah says, the mushriks are not really a good audience for you. And the next says, most of the people of the book, their knowledge is not going to be an asset. It will be a liability. Now when you hear that, when the Prophet hears that, it's not just coming from some naysayer. It's coming from Allah Himself. Allah Himself is telling him, you have a pretty tough audience, right?
1: Mm.
0: But despite all of that, what is the next ayah? It's incredible. فَلِذَلِكَ فَدْعُ And for that reason, invite.
1: Subhanallah.
0: Now interestingly, the, the, he did not say, despite all of that, invite. He said, for those reasons, you must invite. Mm. In other words, these lofty obstacles are in front of you, because you are who you are, the Messenger of Allah right. sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So, You are worthy of much higher obstacles than any other normal human being. You've got the Quran. You shouldn't have small challenges, you should have really big ones. You Ma-shul. keep on inviting. You stay firm as you've been commanded. Ma-shul. So when we see tall, lofty challenges in front of us, yes, it is our loyalty to Allah, to the Messenger Sunnah sallallahu wa sallam, to see so, those wa-sallam. challenges and say, it is not this because of these reasons that I should feel the urge to quit, Mm. because of these reasons, I should feel the urge to go even stronger.
1: And on that note, Jazakallah, Brother Numan Ali Khan, for joining us today. We certainly hope that you will join us again in the future. And I thank you, Mashallah, for sharing your words of inspiration and your words of encouragement to the Muslims of Birmingham and to the Muslims of the United Kingdom in this time of
0: great difficulty for the Muslim Ummah. May Allah make it easy for all of us. Really thank you all for your time.